When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Buck, along with my coworker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and we're here today to talk about the Charlotte Roval elimination race and the F1 World Championship, uh, well, at least uh, clinched several races early, the new world champion, Max Verstappen. We'll get to that later in the episode. Jordan, you are at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I am here in Denver, Colorado. Before we uh, finish out the stretch there, uh, where I'm going to the rest of, uh, or at least traveling to a race for the rest of the four weeks. So how's it going there in Charlotte? Good. Why the subdued open Joe? Why subdued? Yeah. Why subdued? Why that was not, you know, the typical Jeff Gluck open to the podcast that I, we have certain expectations we must give our listeners and you did not fulfill them at the open. Why? Uh, I don't know. Did you enjoy the race today, Jordan? It, it, it's a loaded question because it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I thought really? the race it was, I mean, like the beginning of the race, I, I'm not, the Roval didn't really produce a lot of excitement early on, a lot of single file racing, but to me, it was like, you were just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And inevitably you, you want it. You were thinking that caution is going to come with sometime in stage three with a, you know, 20, 30 laps left, whatever it's going to be. And then all hell is going to break loose. That is what I thought was going to happen coming in. That is exactly what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it wasn't a very good race for 95% of it. Um, you know, this car on road courses, this was road course number six. And, you know, we've seen the, this trend sort of all year where you're just like, Oh, the road courses are not as good with the next gen car, just like the short tracks. And to an extent, not as bad, but the super speedways haven't been as good. So all three of those types of tracks have taken a hit. Obviously we've talked at, at length about how the intermediates have been better. Obviously the Charlotte, the Coke 600 was one of the better races of the year. That was crazy. Insane. Um, so for most of this race, obviously I was thinking, Oh, I was just moving back to the, the oval, but this Roval race has been built around chaotic craziness, wackiness, absolutely bonkers stuff happening. So in the end, they got what they want, whoever they is, whether that's NASCAR or Marcus Smith or whoever, NBC, I don't know, whoever wanted that. But, you know, uh, a sign is on the track, whatever, a cardboard, and that is a reason for a caution. I asked NASCAR uh, for more, you know, just to make sure, like, if they had any sort of explanation, I guess, why was that necessary? Because, you know, you heard conflicting things and I'm still, I'm still not sure because the first time we saw it on TV, you know, it was like, Oh, there's a sign on the track. There's a sign on the track. And then there was a caution pretty shortly thereafter. But then you heard 
um, Chase Briscoe's team radio saying, oh, that's been there for a while. And they didn't do anything about it. And then you heard Kyle Larson's team radio say, well, this is before he got eliminated. They said, well, that, that sign, I mean, that wasn't even on the track by the time the caution came out. I don't know that that's true because I think they were pretty much showing it when the caution came out. But there was some conflicting things. But anyway, NASCAR's answer was there was a sign on the track that needed to be picked up. So they felt that was the case. But, of course, that one piece of cardboard that got on the track for whatever reason completely changed the playoff field. I mean, you could argue it changed. It definitely changed Christopher Bell's playoffs. It gave him a chance to win. It ultimately knocked Kyle Larson out of the playoffs. Um, you know, at that point, there was going to be another spot for either Briscoe or Cindric. Perhaps Cindric was going to be able to, you know, Cindric probably wasn't going to be able to game without a caution. He was too far back. He was still seven points back at that time. And it was sort of like, uh, you know, is can Suarez get back in it? Briscoe's, you know, hanging in there. Um, you know, that, that kind of was a wild swing. So it affected a lot. Chase Elliott was going to win. So at that point that affected Chase Elliott as well. I mean, that's a potential five playoff points taken away from him. It was just, you know, the chaotic, wacky craziness that NASCAR in some ways seems to be known for these days. That's what you got. If you like that, that type, that side of NASCAR, this was a perfect race for you. Perfect ending. Uh, if you're not as comfortable with the championship being played out that way, as you can tell, if you ever listened to this podcast before, that's the camp I'm in. Not as comfortable with how that unfolded, but that's what happened, and that's NASCAR. So there you go. And you're not happy. I don't think it's a matter of not being happy. It's just like, is that what you want out of your championship? Is that how you want your championship to be decided? Like a cardboard sign falls on the track, and that alters the outcome of the race, the playoff field. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, we, we always say, Oh, you know, we never know what's going to happen. In these races, this is going to be crazy. Oh my gosh. Like is so-and-so going to pay back so-and-so or like somebody could get in a wreck or, or whatever. But you know, when it's a piece of seemingly innocuous, I mean, I know there's been tire problems this year, but can the tires not run across a cardboard sign? How was it hung up? Was it glued? Was it, was I, don't it I don't know. I didn't see it. It didn't See, that, seem that like, is- it didn't seem like one of those ones that was like in the grass and came onto the track. It was like, it seemed like one of the ones that was maybe on a wall and fell off or something. Yeah. But that's my question though. It was like, how was it put up? Was it had, did it have something on it that could puncture a tire? And I don't know the answer to that question. To be honest with you. And if it oh, did, you're saying it could puncture a tire if it had glue on it or something. No, I mean, not had glue, but if it had, if it was a nail they use or staple or something, I mean, who knows? I mean, if it's something that could puncture a tire, then yeah, then I think there's probably cause for concern. You look very stressed right now. Like Jeff has his hand, his head in his hand, He's rubbing his face. You just look like you just want to unload. Well, I mean, what you said there just seems kind of like a stretch. No, like I mean, it's a, a legit... nail on the cardboard sign. So you need to make sure you throw the caution to make sure. So if there's a, if there's a nail on it and a nail sticking up, I mean, could that puncture why do you tire? Think, why was there a nail on the cardboard sign? It was, I, it was like, attached to a concrete wall. Most likely. Was it, was it, would it come from a wall? Did it come from a, I don't know. I mean, again, this is a playoff race. You know, there's a lot at stake here in an elimination race in the final laps counting down. I know it wasn't a very exciting race. So, you know, maybe NASCAR is trying to avoid the complaints about that, right? Because we're, we, if there wasn't, if they don't call a caution there and the race goes green, 
it's a, then we're, we're sitting on the podcast saying, well, that was a boring race. That was terrible. Um, you know, there was no natural cautions, just like at road America this year. Um, you know, gosh, like what, what have, what has happened to these road courses instead, you know, it sort of creates this chaotic sequence of events where guys are running each other off the track and wrecking each other and spinning and can't even keep up with all the stuff that goes on at the end. Um, certainly you know that that's a possibility when you call a caution. You do. You you know that we we know cautions breed cautions, Daryl Waltrip says, and you know that especially at the Roval, if you're going to have restarts, something's going to happen. So as soon as that caution came out, I mean, you and I messaged each other. That was like the most predictable thing, you know, and then there was another caution over time. I mean, it's just, you know, it's fine. If people enjoy that, that's fine. I mean, if people want like the sort of, I mean, your team chaos. So certainly you probably, you liked that, but. I mean, isn't ultimately though, the responsibility on the drivers, like, I mean, for, I mean, if the race is going to devolve into this completely chaotic barroom brawl type of race that, I mean, that's on the drivers. Like, I mean, all, everything is out the window in those last few laps and everything that, that happened after that chase Elliott spinning, uh, Kevin Harvick, yeah, shoving guys out of the way. I mean, Chris Rebell rallying. I mean, like all of this, you know, Chase L or Chase Briscoe, you know, coming back, you know, possibly his teammate holding the field up uh, to, to help Briscoe. I mean, all of that stuff's on the drivers. I, you can, you can, you can blame circumstances for, for creating this, but ultimately it's the drivers making the choices. And a lot of times. So you're, you're not putting any of this on NASCAR then. I mean, what, what am I, what am I supposed to put on NASCAR? Like they, they go to, I, when they went to the Roval, this was a far better alternative than racing on the oval. Now, can you have the question of whether you should go back to the oval? hundred percent. That is a fair and legitimate question. But I mean, this is what the Roval is. This is what it is advertised. And this delivered again today on that aspect. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying they got what they wanted. Uh it wasn't going to deliver until a sign was on the track that they felt was necessary to, to throw a yellow flag for. So. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, but that's, I mean, but it's like a, it's like a boring pick of any sport. Like there's a boring baseball game and you know what? Something memorable happens in the bottom of the ninth inning. That's all anyone talks about. Sometimes, sometimes these things happen. Yeah. But I'm talking about the decision to set that up. I so, mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to get too hung up on this. It, it's, so you agree with the call? You agree with the call to throw the caution? I didn't have an sign. issue with it. There's debris on the okay. crash. I mean, Fair, I mean, fair enough. Give me, give me some more information on the sign before I'm going to make a decision. Well, I, I'm not there, so I, I, I didn't see it. So uh, it looked relatively harmless to me. But again, if it was viewed as a safety hazard, I guess, and that's uh, that's what it is. Anyway, the end result is that... Um, Christopher Bell, I mean, boy, we talked about, we opened the first three races of the playoffs talking about this guy. And, you know, wow, he's a championship favorite. Like, this is the guy who's going to be, I mean, he's he's really, you know, he had three top fives in that first round. Then we were completely out on him because he had no chance no, coming no, into this no, no, race. No. I said last week I had a chance. I thought he had a chance to win this race. And I said I was concerned about the Toyota struggles, but I thought he had a chance. Something to that effect pretty sure you agreed with me that when i brought up toyota's struggles yeah, on the road courses last struggle. week that you agreed oh yeah you're right he's done i thought it was gonna be hard well now you're saying that you thought he had a chance you said he had a chance 
he's, he's, I think he had a chance. Yeah. I mean, he needed a lot of work. Lot so of when you woke up favor. today, you thought that there was possible for a Toyota to win this race. Yes. Yes. I would say that in any race because it just about, because I mean, we've seen weird things happen here. We, we, we have seen in races here where all hell breaks loose and guys can come through. Why are you, you are like in the darkest mood right now. You are like the grumpy uncle. I, I just don't, I don't uh, recall that from the last episode that, we I, I, no, I mean, I agree. Like, I mean, they, they don't have speed on their, they didn't have speed in the road course cars, but I'm not going to completely dismiss them and say, oh, there's zero chance. Like, of course there's a chance. And, and he's good at I didn't think, Well, okay, fine. I'll fall on the sword then. I didn't think they had a chance. They've been bad on road courses all year. Christopher Bell's been the best of the Toyotas on the road courses. We talked about that. But I didn't think, I mean, I didn't, was like, I mean, he had no, no shot. I mean, most of this race, he wasn't even in, really in contention. I mean, he was in top 10 got himself in there, you know, about to seventh place or whatever. But, um, you know, fortunately it worked out for them where they took tires and, uh, he's ultimately able to pass Kevin Harvick. Um, you know, his crew chief, Adam Stevens said, you, you just can't, um, overstate the importance of, you know, 30 lap fresher tires in that situation. And, uh, Bell said it was relatively easy to make that, that pass there on Harvick. And so, uh, he does the walk-off win, which we really haven't seen that much. I mean, there was a, uh, Harvick at Dover, um, very Kessel rare in this elimination. Yeah. Very, very rare in this elimination format. Have we seen that where somebody absolutely is a must win has to pull themselves off the scrap heap to do it. Um, bell did it. Kudos to him. And in doing so, obviously he moves the cut line up one spot. So that changed things at the end. And that ultimately knocks defending NASCAR cup series champion, Kyle Larson out of the playoffs. Uh, he ends up missing it by two points because at the end there, uh, well, Larson had hit the wall and despite Cliff Daniels saying, Hey, we've got time. We're still good on points. I don't think at that time, uh, at that time in the race, they, they had considered that the possibility of uh, a new winner from, um, below the cut line, which I wouldn't have either because everything, the way things were unfolding, there was still no chance for bell to win. Um, and, you know, obviously Bowman wasn't in this race. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, let's, he, you know, he's saying, take our time, do our repairs. They five laps down and it actually wouldn't have only it looking at the chart, it, it would have only mattered if they were two laps down. So if they'd been able to somehow make a hurried change on their repairs and, and come out two laps down instead of five laps down, which is a lot at the Roval, um, that could have made a difference, but ultimately it didn't, uh, it looked like Cindric was going to be the one who, past him there. Sindrick had a chance to make up a bunch on the restart and he was doing it. He was on his way. And then he just kind of overcooked that backstretch chicane and kind of spun himself out, made a mistake, got into the back of Kozlowski and then kind of spun out with, with Jones right behind him. Uh, and then that opened the door for Chase Briscoe who had spun earlier when he was in position. You're like, well, he's done. He gets back into it and Cole Custer, uh, his teammate appears to, slow the other cars down enough. Meanwhile, Briscoe makes his breaking point way deeper into the backstretch chicane. Uh, as he said, after the race, he did a hail Mary and somebody caught it and, uh, it worked out. He got the positions he needed and he was able to make that pass for seventh and points and knock Kyle Larson out of the playoffs. What do you make of that entire sequence there, Jordan? I can't believe that Kyle Larson's eliminated from the playoffs. I'm just stunned. You can't, and you said, you, you, with all the stuff that happened, you just said you, you can believe anything that can happen with all these races. And now you're saying you can't believe that Larson's out. Yeah. I can't believe Larson's out. 
Okay, please continue. So, I mean, defending champion comes in the playoffs really well. He was running well. But then it, this just – it's weird to me because this is – in a way, it kind of encapsulates their season, like, right? I mean, they've had a lot of speed this year, and they've had performance. They have not executed. They have made a lot of mistakes. Cliff Daniels said that post-race. Like, we have had times this year where the drivers made a mistake, the team has made a mistake, I've made mistakes. And it's just – in a way, this is kind of just kind of another one – the, the year and it's it's funny because coming in i thought larson was i i picked larson to win this race i, I thought he was going to do really well but then he didn't qualify well and, and it's still thought like he's still remanaging his race they're doing a good job and then they hit the wall and if you're talking about all you look at the playoff field right look at the round of 12 and the guys who really don't have a lot of experience in these races chase briscoe's on that list suarez chastain um even bell's only been through this once and the defending champ is not someone I would have put on that thing on a, a, a circle that said, this is a guy who's going to make a mistake today. That's going to cost himself a, a playoff spot and, and end up leading him being eliminated. But it was him. It was the defending series champion, the guy who won 10 races last year, who had one of the greatest seasons in NASCAR history, who made a mistake at a time. He didn't need to make a mistake. So I, I, I am stunned that that happened. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't know. I mean, for most of this race, obviously he was just fine. And then he's gone. So, uh, you would think that even now I would say Larson is probably one of the four best cars in NASCAR. Uh, he's not going to be in the final four. Obviously he's not even in the final eight. Christopher Bell said after the race, uh, you know, you could probably look at this and say the eight cars that are remaining are not the eight fastest um, cars in the garage. And I think that this playoffs more than any other elimination playoff ever. Um, I mean, this is sort of like the weakest final eight you would say. Yeah. And I mean, again, look, that's unfair. I, I've used that term and it's a little bit unfair, but in terms look, of raw speed, um, you don't have Kyle Larson in this round. You don't have, uh, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Bush, Martin Truex jr. All champions gone. Uh, all people who, you know, if, if everything was a clean site, you say, oh, yeah, I can see them winning it. They're all gone. Reddick, even. I mean, that's that's somebody. Suarez, I mean, it, had Suarez made this next round, um, given their speed on intermediates, I would have thought, hey, you know what? I could see Suarez, Suarez and Chastain both having a really good shot at making the Final Four. Um, obviously, Suarez has steering issues today. They're not his fault at all. It's just a part on the car. Didn't work. And he lost his power steering and he's gone. That's just like that. After he had put himself in position with a really good playoffs car didn't work for him. So, um, so yeah, I'm I mean, at, I'm, I'm shocked too, but this is, this is what we have. I'm looking at the final eight and Elliot has had speed all year. Obviously Blaney, I would put him on the speed category though. He doesn't have a win. He has consistently been among the fastest cars has led laps in a lot of races this year, finished high up in the season points. Logano's got two wins and been fairly quick. Hamlin, yes. Briscoe, I would say no. Byron, how would you how where would you classify Byron on this list? Well, here's the thing. If you look at um, I mean, this is so this is almost like a new playoffs to me because this round was the crazy round, right? You had Texas, which is yes, a mile and a half track, but it's also like not a very raceable mile and a half. Then you had Talladega and the Roval. So this was just like the, can you avoid the landmines and get through to a round that is very 
sort of more traditionally straightforward. Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. Now we don't know what's coming at Martinsville. It's going to be, but it's not going to be crazy necessarily because it's going to be track position based. They won't be able to pass there, but Vegas and Homestead should be really where the, a chance where they can go really race this out. So then I say, okay, well, let me look at mile and a half tracks, the, the performance on mile and a half tracks. Um, Byron, I mean, he was seventh at Texas. Of course, he spun somebody there, and, and had he been penalized properly, he wouldn't have finished seventh. Um, sixth at Kansas, um, he crashed at the Coke 600, um, so he finished 36th there, and he was 16th in the spring Kansas race. You can't count the Atlanta races. He won one of the Atlanta races, but you can't count that because that's a super speedway. So those are really sort of the races you have to go off of in theory. Um, and you know, I think he stacks up okay, but I really think the advantage now goes to, um, the, the two Joe Gibbs racing cars, Hamlin and bell. And I really feel like, you know, Chastain, um, is in pretty good shape. Uh, I feel like they're going to have speed. I I'm not as high on, you know, like a, a Logano. I mean, he, he finished second at Texas, but they haven't had a ton of speed. Blaney. Yeah, I, you can make an argument for Blaney. He was fourth at Texas, ninth at Kansas. Um, you know, they've, they've had enough speed, but I think you really, I think now you're you're looking at, okay, the, you know, you're going to have somebody win their way in uh, at least one of the um, Kansas or, or, or sorry, or the uh, Vegas or um, Homestead races. So I, I, I guess I'm feeling like Bell is back to being one of the championship favorites. Uh, Hamlin, I would put up there. Byron, okay, yeah, I mean, I feel okay about that, but Elliot, you know, so, and then I, I just, I'm not sure where everybody else stacks in. I, I feel pretty decent about Chastain, honestly, more than I would even like a Blaney or Got a Logano. a really good chance the next two weeks. They've been really fast a mile and a half intermediate tracks this year. That's been their strong suit consistently. I mean, they, yes, they've won the road courses, but you look at what they've been able to do in the intermediates, a lot of speed there. And I think there's going to be a focus. I, I was talking to somebody on Chastain's team in the garage post race, and they said, we, we feel like we can go win one of these new, next two races. And we feel like we need to win one of these next two races. And so I, I think they're going to be in a good spot. We'll, we'll see if they can deliver. I do think the Toyotas are going to be really tough to beat at Las Vegas, though. And that that's going to be the thing. And I would say, I, I would say Homestead, too. And I just think Hamlin or Bell is going to win their way in the next two weeks. I really believe that's going to be the case. Elliot is got such a point cushion right now. Um, he, I think you have to pencil him in unless just, he has probably two bad races. And then that third race, he just doesn't get that win that he needs. It's really a crapshoot the rest of the way. It, it depends. I don't have much confidence in Briscoe. No offense. I just don't see that materializing. I think that Cinderella story is probably going to come to an end. Look at Ryan Blaney. I, I man, I, he just, he, he keeps getting by. He's running well. Okay. But, I just, I need more from that. I need to, I need to, I need to see you go out and, and put together a big race and lead some laps and, and put yourself in a position to win and get a win. By the way, he still hasn't won a race this season. That's that, that to me jumps out. So Briscoe is definitely in danger. Blaney's kind of on that list and the rest of the guys, I think have a pretty good chance. I go back to what you said earlier, Jeff. And I agree. Like, I really think Christopher Bell is in a really good spot here. He, like we are under, you, you know, you talked about how you don't think a lot of these guys, have a lot of speed. Bell had a really, really good regular season. People don't realize that he was the highest finishing driver out of all four Joe Gibbs this year in points, right? And he is really having one of those kind of breakout years. 
the issue, the thing is he's not winning a lot. Like this is now we get that second win. We're going to look at it a little differently, but before today we hadn't looked at him in that light. I think he's in a really good spot. I mean, if he can get a win the next two weeks, great. I, you know, Martinsville's a little iffy, obviously we'll see, but I, I like his, I like his chances. I really, really do. Brisk, yeah. Briscoe, it's going to be hard for him. Um, and, and I, I really put bell and Briscoe together in a sense, because if either of them gets through this round, I really think that you could be looking at a champion. And I, I know it's weird to say for Briscoe, we're saying, ah, he's probably not going to get through the round. And then I say, well, he could be champion, but he won Phoenix in the spring. It, yeah. And, I mean, you know, he, I know that was early. That was very early with this car, but I mean, and, and you'd probably have to bring a different setup and things like that, but he was fairly convincing at Phoenix. Yeah. And if you get there, that's all it takes. So if he can somehow get through this round, yeah. which again, I agree with you, it's going to be difficult, but Homestead is a very good chase Briscoe track. Um, so, you know, he, he knows how to run the wall there. Um, things could come together for him there. Now, bell, I think is a lot in a lot better position. I think bell, the fact that bell is, is has speed at mile and halves and he won at New Hampshire, which is the closest track to Phoenix. Um, I think that adds up really well for him to, to, if he can get through, uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at Christopher bell as a possible champion, which is again, crazy, right? Based yeah. on how the season's gone, but this has been the crazy season. So, um, it's still, I mean, I, I, I don't know who you would really look at. I, I still don't feel as good about the Fords in general as I do about the other makes, but their short track program's good. Like they're, I think they're going to be, they could be hit or miss at Las Vegas and Homestead. Their short track program has been very good this year. Blaney was very good at Martinsville. Logano has a win at gateway. They, they are strong in those type of races, which is why if they can get to Phoenix, I think they have a good chance. I'll throw another guy out there too, is Chastain. Like we talked about how good he is at mile and a half racetracks. He was good at Martinsville this year. Not great, but good. And then you look at Phoenix, that Phoenix race, he was right in that mix. Briscoe dominated it, but he was, it, Chastain was up there late. And so if he can get there too, I, you could, I mean, honestly, I feel like you can make a case for quite a few drivers, but I still, at the end of the day, I, I, I look at Chase Elliott. And I just think this team is really good. And you look at how they're running now, like even the issues at Kansas, right? Problem at Kansas. Well, it happened when he was leading the race today, controlled the race at the end, was in a good spot circumstances worked against them, nothing you can do, but you have to put yourself in position. This team is now putting itself in position a lot, week in, week out. That's a big thing. Wouldn't you be frustrated if you're Chase Elliott? I mean, I know you're, you know, the points leader and you've regular season champion, five races this year that you've won. But, I mean, you're leading this race, you're doing everything you need to do, you know, pretty decent margin. And a caution comes out and then you just get run over. Almondinger really used him up. I mean, sure. Almondinger for not being a regular, uh, that was pretty rough for a playoff guy. Now I know Chase had already locked his way in, but those are still five playoff points that, you know, he could use for the next round. Almondinger just kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really both races. You could say that yesterday too. Yeah, and Reddick tagged him too, right? I mean, Reddick tagged Chase. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, but that yeah, I lost who I lost in, in that whole sequence of, I thought it was Reddick that ended up taking chase ultimately. 
Well, and you had Harvick in the mix there. Uh, and Harvick, by the way, used up. Uh, man, who did Harvick use up? Harvick just shoved somebody out of the way at the end. And it was <laughs> Stan Harvick's way. Was it Almondinger I mean, that he shoved out? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was Almondinger. Yeah. It was Almondinger because he took a lead. But to your point, though, you're right. I mean, there's two ways to look at it from Chase. I mean, you can be frustrated, like, "Hey, we just we, we just lost a race. We probably should have won." And all of the points and everything else and what the hell and you know a, a sign fell on the track and that's you know all of these things and you have a right to be mad the other side of it is like okay we survived we, we got out of here uh, out, of, out of this chaos that has been this year that has been a weird playoff where weird stuff has happened every single week it feels like we we got out of here we're moving on we are in a good point spot we're going to two tracks where we feel like we can kind of control our destiny a little bit Survive in advance, baby. You don't always have to be pretty. Just to survive in advance. Yeah, but he was already locked in. So, I mean, to I, I think from a perspective where he's a guy that wants to just go out and win every week, um, you know, just the sort of the traditional racing mentality of it, it's got to be it. frustrating where, I mean, the, the entire series just devolves into like, as, as soon, like, again, as soon as you get a restart in a situation like this, everybody's just going to run each other over with no respect for anybody. And it just makes everybody look like a bunch of amateurs or, sure. I mean, but is that what people want? Is that what the drivers want? Is that what fans want? Is that what NASCAR oh, wants? Okay. Let's take this one by one. Is it what the drivers want? No. I mean, no, of course not. Is it what the fans want? For, I mean, to some degree. Yeah. Because there was a lot of clamoring for road courses for a while, Jeff. And why was that? Because the racing was tough. They were called the new short tracks where they slammed into each other and weird that's things. That's that was before they were like race, like uh, uh, sports cars though. Okay. But that we're making the decisions before this year. So, I mean, we can't, you know, now we're, we're going, now we're trying to, you know, uh, you know, try this after the fact, we can't do that, but going in. Yeah. Fans were like, Hey, yeah, sure. I mean, road courses. Yeah. They slam into each other. They spin each other out. It's exciting. Yeah. That's what fans want. Is it what NASCAR wanted? Hell yeah. They wanted that. So, you know, two of the three groups out of there, I would say, yes. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, honestly. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we we did not talk about the we we mentioned the Custer thing briefly. NASCAR right before we started our podcast here came out and said they're going to be investigating um, all the you know the radio chatter and and the data from Cole Custer. Um, I'll be honest, I did not think that was like um, an egregious penalty worthy type thing. Uh, I know it looked weird, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if that's something, I mean, are you going to be like, Hey, I'm going to go on the high line here and kind of go a little bit slow. And then my teammate who's three cars back, I'm just going to let him blast by me as everybody will naturally stack up behind me and that will help him gain these spots. And basically I'll be a, how does he know the cars behind him weren't just going to pull right out in, you know, into chase Briscoe's way? How does he know that he wasn't going to get just plowed over or, or sent in, in a sense? Um, how does he even know that? I mean, I'm sure he was aware that, okay, Briscoe's trying to make it, but he wouldn't know, okay, the exact point situation. I mean, maybe radio chatter will say different. Um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really have a problem. That's not like spinning out to cause an intentional caution and give your teammate a chance or wrecking somebody to give your teammate a chance. I mean, he was maybe going a little bit slow with his teammate coming up and trying to get out of the way. 
uh, I'm now I'm glad NASCAR says they're going to look into it and, and said, Hey, we're at least going to look at this. But I, I guess I'd almost be a little bit surprised if they ended up penalizing him for it. Once they look at all the facts. I mean, how do you fall on that? I, I honestly, I need to see more of it. I mean, I was you know, being in the moment here and everything going on and trying to keep up on and what's good, who's finishing what and who's finishing where um, I need to go back and actually review it. I, I do want to hear the audio. You, you hear all the time though. You hear teammates are told, especially late in races, key races, Hey, so-and-so is behind you. FYI, be mindful of so-and-so. So if that's the transmission on the radio, that's pretty innocent. That's no different than you hear all the time. So I, I need to go back and listen to it. I, I need to see everything before I have an opinion of it, before I can speak comfortably about it. I mean, to me, if you're a teammate and you know your teammate needs points and you're basically it's, getting out of the way for your teammate to pass, it's that's what of, teammates do. I don't, but so I get that on TV, you know, the way that the way that Briscoe carried so much speed into that corner and the way that Custer was slowing down, you know, you're like, oh boy, was he blocking? Was he slowing up those other cars to give Briscoe? I think that's too hard to coordinate personally. I, I think it was more of just like he was trying to get out of the way and give him a position for a playoff yeah, driver. I'm looking at I'm looking at the video right now, and from the video I've seen, and this isn't the best. I, I'm not seeing anything here that bothers me. I mean, honestly, if you're going to start going down this road, what happened at Daytona in the regular season finale where Reddick just rode shotgun on on Dylan and didn't want to pass him and didn't even try to pass him. That probably bothers me more than anything, but that, that, that more than this. So, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot more egregious things that have come along. So again, I respect NASCAR for saying, Hey, we're going to look at this. Um, this is, you know, essentially under investigation. Right. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't, would you be like, if they were like, Oh, we're going to find, Cole Custer, like a hundred thousand dollars and suspend him for a race or something. I mean, that just, I, I don't think so. I, that's a, that is, you start doing that. That is a very slippery slope you're going down and you are going to, you're going to come to regret that. I, I, you cannot do that. Well, it's possible. But I was going to say in this year, in this playoff, I mean, at, at this point with everything that's transpired, it does feel like that would probably be the next, the shoot to drop. Right. So another thing, um, officiating related that unfortunately did play a part in who made it, who didn't William Byron ends up making the cut by 11 points. He was, he would have missed the playoffs had the appeals panel, which is not NASCAR, but, um, a group of people who NASCAR appoints. And then, um, three members out of that group, uh, do these hearings like a, a three panel judge, um, three panel court kind of thing as judges. Um, but it's not NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR does not want to lose appeals at all ever. They hate losing appeals. Um, because then they have to rewrite the rule book as they did this week, um, to try to close up loopholes. Anyway, um, Byron had spun Denny Hamlin, obviously at Texas NASCAR said we did not have eyes on it, that we missed it. And so they had to sort of, instead of penalizing Byron in the race, which maybe would have cost him. I don't know, 15 points, 10 points by the time, you know, if they put him back to the, at the back and then he could have had a chance to make some of it up, they had to penalize him 25 points. So NASCAR or Hendrick Motorsports ends up appealing it. And the appeals panel says, we're going to increase your fine, but we'll give you all of your points back. And that margin was enough for him to make their next round. 
Of course, it ends up coming at his teammate's expense. So it was some, uh, somewhat of a trade for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, Larson out, but Byron gets to make it because Larson would have been the last one in had Byron been below that line. So what do you make of all that having an impact on who got to move on? I don't like the situation. I didn't like it at Texas when NASCAR missed the call. I didn't like it after the fact when they came back and said, hey, we're going to take this away. I did not like the fact, and I thought Chase Briscoe raised a really, really good point um, yesterday when he spoke to reporters, which is uh, how can you have – if you're going to have a playoff, if you're going to have a, a penalty in the playoffs, you have to have the appeals before the next race. You, you cannot wait two weeks after the fact because it changes – it impacted how Chase Briscoe raced at Talladega, he said. And I don't like anything about this situation. I don't like handing penalty points after the fact. You're going back effectively and changing the box score. Um, you know, and I don't like that for something that could have been officiated in a race that we, we said it. If you're going to penalize Byron and drop him a lap down or whatever, at least he's got the opportunity then to make it up. But now when you take 25 points away from him, you're not even given that opportunity because you missed it on something that should never have been missed. It's just, it was a bad thing when it happened at Texas and it just got uglier as it went along. Yeah. And I think that it's actually quite fortunate that, um, Denny Hamlin ends up moving on because yeah. had he, had he missed by a small margin that essentially you could have argued, Hey, that was the, those were the points that he could have gotten, um, after he was spun under caution in a race in a playoff race. And, you know, NASCAR had said it was at the time, after the race, they said, well, had we seen it, it would have been an option to give him his spot back. Um, as I believe they did to Ty Gibbs at the Portland Xfinity race after Ty Gibbs was the leader and spun under caution by Jesse Awuji. Yeah. Um, Ty Gibbs got his spot back. And they were saying, well, that could have been the case for Hamlin, but we did not see it. Had Hamlin then missed this next round by you know, the margin that you could have said w- was happened at Texas, that would have been a bad look. Fortunately for everybody, I think uh, he ends up moving on and making it. So um, at least that that part's off the hook. Um, and Larson, by the way, is still alive in owner points. Not that that or the five team is. Um, not that that is something that people focus on that much. But Bubba Wallace uh, eliminated uh, in the forty-five car today. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, at least at least. Larson might still have something to race for. And I, I think Larson will still be a factor, honestly. Like, I could still see him winning. Oh, yeah. You know, Homestead so. for sure. Homestead, Lake, Vegas. I mean, especially Homestead. I mean, as good as he is there. Um, absolutely. Here's a question for you, Joe. We talked mm-hmm. about Denny Hamlin, right? I think we do. We both agree. I think Denny could probably win one of the next two races. Right. Is he the random? Is he? Is NASCAR going to be uh, pulling the 11 car back to the R&D Center after, say, Las Vegas next week just for giggles? Well, I mean, you asked that because um, the random for Talladega was a couple of non-competitive cars who finished in the mid-20s, and NASCAR pulled Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr., who were two of the three most outspoken drivers um, in relation to uh, the next-gen car and the crappy parts and all that stuff that they've been talking about. Just a coincidence, Um, right? I mean, clearly not. Clearly not a coincidence. I mean, I, if you think that's a coincidence that they were the quote random, I mean, that, that's just absurd. Absolutely absurd. Obviously they pulled them, uh, on purpose and you know, they were, I'm sure really, really wanted to find something. They did not find anything on Truex's car. 
they ended up finding a problem, uh, NASCAR says, on um, the Harvick car with the deck lid. And uh, obviously that's under appeal. And so we'll see. Um, we'll see what, what happens there. But uh, clearly, you know, they were, they wanted to get Harvick back, I'm sure. Although Steve Phelps said, uh, told Jenna Fryer of the Associated Press and Dustin Long of NBC Sports that it's ridiculous to think anybody has a, a vendetta against Kevin Harvick, but I don't see how you could argue that he was pulled intentionally to try to see if they could find something that said, so will they do anything to Hamlin? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that given he's a playoff driver now, I don't know that you would necessarily see something this season, but I wouldn't be surprised if early next year he is targeted in a way that he gets pulled for extra inspections I mean, this is something that was in Days of Thunder. This is not new. Um, you know, there's the, the the part in Days of Thunder where Big John is sitting there and says, y'all ever heard of a Japanese inspection? Um, and he <laughs> goes on to tell them that he's going to pull their car out of the race and tear it apart. And if they're still legal, he'll let them back on the track, many laps down and all that stuff. So, um, you know, this is a way that NASCAR sends a message uh, I think they would like to find stuff, but at the same time, they can't be too over the top about it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I, I think they're obviously very unhappy with Denny, um, given all how outspoken he's been. I mean, he's called for a NASCAR leadership change. He's called NASCAR negligent. Um, apparently, he was one of the outs- most outspoken drivers in this driver safety meeting they had on Saturday. Yep. He and Harvick were still going in on it. So I doubt it's the end of this, but it would also be kind of odd to just be like, all right, we're really going to try to make sure you don't make the final four. That's not NASCAR's place. And I think to that degree or to that, to that conversation too, I also think, uh, you know, just to double back on something, I think that Ross Chastain is still in the clear from Denny Hamlin. uh, As long as Hamlin is competitive, in these playoffs and still trying to make it. He's still, they're both still alive. And so since Hamlin is not out of the playoffs, I don't think that you're going to see Hamlin like going to a Martinsville. And uh, if he's trying to make the final four wreck Chastain or try to keep him out of it, cause it's just not worth it. So um, I think there's things that could happen down the road, but not now. What do, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, to, to pull the 11 back to the R and D center as a quote unquote random I don't think you can do that because you're you're really at that point putting yourself risking your credibility. But as we said, Toyota's been really fast in the intermediate tracks. I think Danny Hamill's going to be a contender to win at Vegas and Homestead. Probably going to be in this position where he's going to have a good chance to win. It would be something though if he did win one of those races, and then his car does have to go back to the R and D center. I mean, it's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. That would be an interesting scenario where NASCAR then isn't dictating that his car comes back. Hamlin is it by winning. And then what happens at the R and D center, I guess stays at the R and D center, right? It's like after hours at the bar. I don't know. Well, if you're wondering, uh, the number two car and the number 48 car, which was today driven by Noah Gregson, uh, are the ones that got the random this week. So Denny was, spared i guess uh this time around so we'll yeah. we'll, we'll see <laughs> um let's see who else haven't we talked about um i mean did you want to touch on uh, we, we touched on a little bit suarez um just 
super, super unfortunate for him. I mean, what's, what's the legacy of his season? You know, he wins his, his first race. Um, track has a, a lot of speed. You know, it seemed like Chastain was sort of the better of those two cars for much of the year, but Suarez in the end, I mean, had he not had the steering problem, Suarez was going to make the final eight and track house was going to have two cars in mm-hmm. the round of eight. I mean, that was, they were Pretty there. Remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if you'd ask Trackhouse, though, I mean, I guess I did. You know, they before the playoffs started, they their goal was that they thought they could get both of these guys to the final eight, at least one to the final four. You know, you can't control broken parts; it is what it is. But Chastain is still in a really good spot to move forward. Daniel's season is is I don't know how you view it. I mean, in one hand, like you, you, he won his first race; he was instrumental in helping elevate Trackhouse to this, this higher level, and they were kind of, in some respects, the story of the regular season. Um, there's also, we, we talked about it, Jeff, a lot. Like, I mean, there was a lot of races that felt like where he probably should have, could have won and he didn't for various reasons. And it kind of feels like it was a little bit of a, a season that, you know, could have been even better than it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough to judge it. It's tough to judge it when, uh, you know, a broken part takes you out. I mean, he was really optimistic today. He was, um, running third really for a lot of the early portion of the race until the power steering started to go away. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I, I, it's one thing if somebody makes a mistake, you know, like, Hey, Larson, okay. hits the wall. Even Chastain hit the wall, but he had enough points to survive it. But, you know, when you're eliminated from the playoffs by a part, you don't even build, that's tough to swallow, man. It's tough to swallow. Um, Sindrick also out although, but you know, Sindrick, I thought he better today. Really, really, really really had a chance. He He really had a chance. It was in his hands. It was in his hands. And I still thought he was, I thought he was going to be better than he was today. Like I know he he got stage points and everything, but I thought like this set up for him to come out and kind of be a player and never really felt like he was going to win the race. He never was that good of a car. And like you said, he was in the mix late. He put himself in position. He had everything going for him. And then he, uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the video. What he got dumped, right? He got slammed into somebody spun him out. When? late cindric no no he that was his fault it was his fault yeah i mean that, from what i saw on the on the replay i mean he's even um on the nbc post-race show they were trying to show him the replay and he was he starts to tell i think it was kim coon who was interviewing he starts to say well no i'm you know i'm pretty sure i got hit from behind there and then he looks at the replay he goes oh no that was my fault well maybe i still get hit oh no no i didn't okay well i just screwed up then you know kind of thing um, he got into the, that backstretch chicane too hot. He kind of ran to the back of Keselowski and then Jones was coming up behind him, but I, I, st- it didn't look like Jones actually made contact with him and Sindrick just kind of spun around. I think he was just the desperation to pick up those spots late, but he had a whole other extra lap. That's the thing. Like he, he didn't need to do it right then. And, and, uh, you know, he was, he was going to be close on points, but it, I, you know, had he not spun, he was going to be, he was going to make it. Um, over Briscoe, I think so. Uh, quite unfortunate there, but he had a shot. He had a shot. But I, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. I thought that just in general, I mean, you would think, okay, Austin Cindric, like he, he's, he's gonna go finish top ten at the Roval. Like he's, you know, yeah, get um, stage points, be in contention. He's gonna be a player. No, yep. obviously Alex Bowman out as well and ends up missing the second straight race. Uh, hopefully he can come back sooner than later. Um, but he wasn't able to participate in the final two races of this round due to the, the concussions. Obviously it's a big 
Topic, um, what, what do you know about the safety meeting that happened on Saturday with all the drivers uh, doing what some, some of them termed it as the airing of grievances? <laughs> I like that. That was good. It was a festivus. It sounded contentious from the, the first half of it, or at least part of it, um, that there was definitely, from the people I talked to, from the driver's side, some drivers felt that there was two, there was a few drivers in the meeting that were too focused on the past and how things that had happened before and they weren't able to move on and they weren't able to get through everything. I thought it was really interesting. I asked Chase Elliott and I asked Denny Hamlin the same question. I said, is there anything from this meeting that was said that changed your opinion about anything? And they said, no. And so, you know, if the idea of this meeting was to kind of put everybody on the same page and kind of, you know, sway everybody that, Hey, you know, we are, the data says this and we are doing this and this, then by that standard, the meeting wasn't as successful as you wanted to. I guess if there's a good thing that came out of this, and NASCAR was happy with this, they're positive of this, is that one, it it, it real it made them realize they have to have a direct pipeline to the drivers in terms of communication. And they're going, you know, Steve Phelps was on NBC Sports in the pre-race show and said we are going to, you know, have a weekly drivers meeting. That is that's good, right? I think that's a very good thing, and that's something that probably should have happened a while ago. Um, at, at least this squelches, I think for the time being, all of the safety talk, I mean, at least there's an, this is a, a an acknowledgement. I mean, Phelps said it publicly, like we, we, this is an issue. Like, and so NASCAR's acknowledging it. They're working on it. Hopefully the next two races, which are a mile and a half racetracks, um, can get, you don't have incidents where you, we, we, we saw it Texas, but then you go to Martinsville and you go to Phoenix, Jeff, and those, while they're smaller tracks, you know, this. Those are tracks where guys dive low into corners, and then there, there are accidents where they slam, you know, rear end into the wall. And those are the kind of wrecks that really have, have been impacted drivers this year in a lot of ways. So there's still some concern. So I, I just I wish this meeting would have happened sooner. I, I don't know why it couldn't have happened. Say, I don't know why this isn't a regular thing anyway. I, I know that Jeff Burton is there as kind of be the conduit between the drivers and NASCAR, but sometimes direct face to face communication of like well, have a why can't you once there's 30 or six races in a season, why can't you say every nine races we're going to get together and we're going to have a powwow and we're just going to, to, to talk about what is going on. And it can be anything. It can be safety. It can be competition. It can be whatever it is. Talk to us. I mean, I get that some drivers didn't like that. You would assume Harvick and Hamlin were, so from what I understand, NASCAR wanted to go into this safety meeting and they had a bunch of slides they wanted to present and they didn't yep. get through all the slides because they got like four, apparently it, it ended up devolving into drivers venting and being very frustrated and finally getting the face to face meeting and saying, you know, essentially what the hell, right? But this is drivers have been doing everything, but jumping up and down, waving their hands and screaming for months, months. I mean, the Kurt Busch thing, that happened in July. Before that, the Gateway, at Gateway, one of the entire conversations of the weekend in, in the media bullpen was, the, hey, these hits are hard. Like, we need to really look into this. And before that, obviously, even dating back to last year, the drivers were concerned about the hard hits. You had the crash test stuff. All, you know, July 2021, Atlanta was a big topic. Um, you know, the, the, the drivers were feeling, we're not getting enough communication. We don't know this stuff. There's all this stuff. They're, they're basically saying, please like they're they're and that's why they went to the media it's not because they love to talk to us 
not because they're, we're their, their friends or something. They wanted to use the media as the platform to get their word out and put pressure on NASCAR because nobody was listening to them. So yes, it's great that NASCAR had a meeting with them and that now NASCAR is saying, Hey, we'll, we'll do this weekly for the rest of the season. We'll meet with you guys. That is great. But like you said, I mean, Joey Logano said, why wasn't this meeting happening the Monday after the Kurt Busch incident? Why did it take the Alex Bowman thing for something to happen like this and the drivers to get so loud that they're just blasting NASCAR? My other question is, you know, NASCAR never responded to this on the record until today with um, Steve Phelps going on the NBC pre-race show. Um, you know, it, we, we would hear all the stuff from NASCAR and, and then say, okay, well, what's NASCAR's response? And they didn't want to get into a back and forth with the drivers and stuff like that. That's fine. But then it just looks like the drivers are just running over you and you have no answer for it. Um, I wish the powers that be, whether it's Jim France or whoever is, is at the very top, you know, green lighting this stuff would have said, look, I'm going to come out. I'm going to do a press conference. We still haven't had the chance to, for us to talk to Steve Feltz. I mean, it was nice that he went on the NBC pre-race show. But, you know, we'll, we'll get sort of the state of the sport press conference with him in, in November for Phoenix weekend. But there's been a lot of questions of like, hey, what, what's going on here? And, you know, the, the drivers feel like they can't get answers. We haven't been able to get answers, um, at least on the record with, with an executive talking and saying this is what's going on. That feels frustrating. Um, so I, I, I just don't know. And, another, you know, another part of that this week was speaking of people going to the media, some of the most powerful executives in the sport uh, called a meeting of small group uh, of, of media uh, in Charlotte and, and said, look, the, the financial negotiations for how things are going, uh, we're not satisfied with it. We've been trying to keep this quiet and behind the scenes and work with you guys on trying to get a bigger share of the pie. Um, you were in this meeting. I was unfortunately not there. I was just listening on speakerphone to it. Uh, I, I heard it, but wasn't able to see the body language, stuff like that. Tell us about this meeting. Tell us about what was being said um, by Jeff Gordon, um, Dave Alpern of Joe Gibbs Racing, Steve Newmark of Roush Fenerick Kozlowski, and Curtis Polk, who is of 2311, but he's basically Michael Jordan's right-hand man, longtime advisor. Tell us tell us about this meeting. Yeah, I mean, there's contract negotiations right now going on for two big things going on. One is the charter system. And that is being renegotiated. That is coming up at the end of the 2024 season. Also coming up at the end of 2024 is the television rights. And these are kind of interlinked in a way. But really, this meeting was about the business model within NASCAR and the team owners. And, and Jeff Gordon said, Hendrick Motorsports is losing money, which I thought was telling. You can question that if you will, but that's what he said on the record, is that Hendrick Motorsports is losing money, which tells you that gives you an indication that other teams are in the same boat. If Hendrick Motorsports is losing money, then how are other teams getting by? And they feel like they want a bigger piece of the pie. And that when this TV contract is going to be renegotiated, they want a bigger slice than what they're getting. And they want uh, other, they want a bigger slice of other revenues as well. Um, Curtis Polk said, you know, when you look at other stick and ball sports and you compare it to NASCAR, people laugh basically at this model. They, they look at it and say, how in the heck does anybody make any money? You're not, you know, you're taking all the risk. You're not guaranteed anything. It's interesting. Um, this is a huge, this to, to call this meeting to air your grievances and to, to kind of lay out your side of negotiating thing is a huge step in what is, has been, it's my understanding. And I, I, you know, they kind of alluded to it in the meeting has been kind of a frustrating, 
know, negotiation process right now and that they the owners don't feel like NASCAR is, is really receptive to what their um, needs and wants are and isn't open to, to giving them. You know, there's two sides to this, but that is the owner's perspective. And they're looking for kind of a, basically an overhaul of a model where they are less dependent on sponsorship monies, um, still need sponsorship. Don't forget that they will need sponsorship. But let's say uh, an M&M's leaves Joe Gibbs Racing and they are not, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing, then their hands aren't behind their back saying, well, we can't sign Kyle Busch because we don't have sponsorship. There's still a model in place where they could say, Hey, we, we know we're going to have more guarantee. We, we have guaranteed monies coming in from all of these other ABCD avenues. Uh, we can still afford to pay Kyle Bush and we'll figure out the sponsorship thing later. Yeah. And so what they were saying was, you know, they um, essentially opened their books. Uh, they took, I, I believe it was seven teams. There's, yeah. there's 16, even, even though there's 36 charters, there's 16 people essentially who own the 36 charters, right? So they took seven of those people's books. And they said, you know what, actually, we're pretty close now in what we spend, relatively close, relatively small window. And so we're just going to sort of make a generic, um, you know, average of, of what these teams, some big, some small in, in between, and we're going to present it to NASCAR. So this is what we spend on, you know, tires, travel, engineering, pit crew, you know, parts, pieces, whatever, All, you know, the, the stuff you just need at a very minimum. Basically everything with the exception of driver salaries. I think that's the best way though. Yes. So they, you know, they said NASCAR is receptive to this. And so they said, okay, so then they presented at NASCAR with a seven point plan in June, uh, in terms of like what they would be seeking to help fix this financial model. And as you said, make them less dependent on sponsorship, um, to where if a major brand left, that wouldn't necessarily mean that you lose your premier driver. Um, and so they said NASCAR months went by. Uh, without NASCAR responding, NASCAR finally responded last week, and the plan, uh, their counter proposal, I guess, was essentially a small increase of the revenue. But what NASCAR really proposed was a cost cap that would dramatically reduce team spending. The teams, for them, that was not feasible at all. They feel like they've already reduced costs. Uh, there's already a new car that the costs are built in, um, and to reduce costs any more than they are. They'd have to do mass layoffs throughout the, throughout the industry. The teams feel like, um, that is not, uh, to, you know, to, to have a better product, the way to do it is not to cheapen it and dilute it and, and cost cut. That's not how you get a better product, um, with your competition or anything about a major league sport. NASCAR though, obviously they really feel like, Oh, the teams, you know, they don't have controlled spending. They, they are not, uh, they're not watching their dollars. They're, they're just using this as an excuse. They're just trying to get more money out of us. And we're not just going to give them money for, for no reason. They need to show that they are willing to reduce their expenses. So now you have this standoff where the owners, the teams are essentially going to the media saying, all right, well, we're going to try to put pressure on NASCAR from this way. And NASCAR is saying, we'll call your bluff. You know, we, we think that you need to, you know, be more uh, fiscally uh, and financially responsible. So uh, this is just the beginning of this story. And, um, <laughs> You know, a lot going on right now in NASCAR that is not about what's happening on the track. And for the playoffs, I personally continue to find that a bit disappointing because every year we look forward to the playoffs. Every year the season builds toward the playoffs. We were talking about this at Texas. We were talking about this at other places. And these playoffs so far through the first six races have just not been 
what I'm personally uh, used to seeing. Um, usually you, you get through these elimination playoffs and you're like, wow, that's a big twist and a turn, but it's not like, all right, this is just, come on now. You know what I mean? And, and I'm worried that it's just going too far down a road where this, this, this playoffs. I mean, we, we talked about best season ever, best season ever. And, and it just turned out to be the best regular season and the playoffs have it's for me not been satisfying borderline flop so far. So I'm hoping this last round here can get back to some normalcy. I mean, there's certainly a chance. I mean, intermediate tracks have been great. Las Vegas, Homestead. Who doesn't love Homestead? Martinsville, I'm not optimistic about it all because Martinsville, you know, it sucked in the spring and nobody seems optimistic they're going to be able to pass when they go back. So that might not be great, but um, you still, it's a short track. You never know. Maybe it'll be better. But uh, maybe the, this round will be the one that saves the playoff, so to speak. There's still time to get this bad taste out of our mouths from the first couple rounds, at least for me in my mouth. So uh, maybe not everybody feels that way. I'm, I totally respect that. But just, oh, uh, to this point, just thumbs down for me on the playoff so far. What about you? It's it's not delivered the way we wanted it to. I mean, it, it's the, it's, there's been too much. At this time of the year, you want the spotlight to be on the track. And there's been way too much stuff going on off the track, whether it's penalties, safety, contract negotiations, you know, you pick one, right? I mean, it's just been, it, it, this is supposed to be time of the year where the, the best rise to the top and you see, you know, come from behind, come from behind performances and guys doing Herculean things and, and all, you know, great racing. And it just feels like we're talking about all of the other stuff right now. And that's unfortunate because that's not what this is, this is supposed to be about. And, you know, there's been good moments. I mean, you know, Chase Briscoe getting in today was a good moment. Um, the finish of today's race, while you can argue about how it, you got to that point, that was a pretty darn good finish, right, Jeff? But it was like you got there, and it's just, again, we're leaving here, and they're probably the questions are going to be about, you know, it's not going to be about the racing. Um, maybe it will. Maybe it flips next week as you go to Las Vegas and start round three, and that's the hope because, like your point, you know, Vegas spring race is pretty good. Going to intermediate track, Homestead I think is going to be phenomenal. Martinsville, Martinsville's Martinsville. I mean, the racing wasn't great there in, in the spring, but I, I this race is just something to me. I think it, it, it has the makings of something special just because it is that last chance to get in the championship four. But the the six races before this have not uh, delivered the way we wanted them to, largely. Well, let's go ahead and do the was a good race poll. Big Joe Wall chimes back in because now that we've restarted things, he went back and added the tally to our previous tally. Now you'll probably say that's unfair. And I actually agree. If you do think that, uh, I wasn't really intending to restart the competition. You pretty much were storming away with the competition. However, since we brought it back, uh, he reports that I've only missed the last three races by a total of five percentage points. Um, three straight wins for me. The total now for the season, if you choose to include it would be you 14, me 13, and I've actually pulled ahead in the tiebreaker, if you can believe that. But again, I, I kind of am not comfortable with. I am uh, going to take the high road, though. Okay. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to be a bigger person. There's no need to get angry. What does what, what getting angry do? Nothing. Well, you could just say, no, that's BS if you're going to try to add it after we. No big deal. It's I kind of think it is BS. I don't really want to claim the win. But it's nice of him to tally it. Um, bottom line is, um, I had another listener 
Um, gosh, I think he sent me a DM. His idea was, uh, if I can find it, um, basically he said, what we should do is, uh, we should, we should write down instead of doing a price is right. We should each write down our guests, guesses, show them at the same time. And then, um, I, I wish I could find the DM. Sorry. Sorry. Whoever sent me that. You realize you got so many DMS. You couldn't find them. How many people are sliding into your DMS? My DMS are open everybody. So I get many DMS all the yeah. time. Uh, feel free. If you're a listener, feel free to send me a DM anytime you want. I'm always interested in the feedback, but anyway, uh, do you want to do the prices right type thing where one person guesses or would, do you have sure. a paper that you want to, I, wanna I will do down? whatever makes Jeff happy. Whatever puts Jeff in a good mood and, and makes you happy. I will do. I'm not going to be in a good mood today. Okay. I'm just not, I stayed up till three 30 AM watching a ridiculous F one race. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. All right. Do you want to write down your guests and we'll show it to each other? Sure. Why not? Okay. All right. Now let's see. Now there's just another layer of this whole shenanigans. Okay. All right. I'm writing yeah. it down now. Okay. Are you ready to show? Yeah. Sure. Okay. My writing right. is very sloppy, so I apologize. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, we're pretty oh, close. Wow. Look at that. Okay. Well, nobody can see what we're talking about. <laughs> I know. All right. uh, you Joe said 50%. I said 46%. Jordan, yeah. 50. Uh, me, 46. Why did you say 50? I, I, I mean, you can't argue. I mean, the first, I don't know, how many, until the last 20 laps, 30 laps, whatever. It was just, there wasn't much going on here. I mean, really, before Suarez had his issue, it was like, okay, you kind of knew the, everybody who was going to move on and who, who was going to be eliminated. This wasn't. I mean, honestly, I was sitting there watching this race going, okay, I'm ready for the Roval to kind of, I'm ready to go back to the Oval, right? Right. And, you know, the last, but that said, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's like people are going to remember the finish. People are going to remember the craziness. And there, there's an, there's fans who embrace that. Uh, team chaos, baby, right? And I think that's that's why it's not lower. So 50% just kind of split, uh, split in the pie in half. All right, yeah. And I said 46. And my reason is similar to yours. I mean, I just didn't think it was a very good race. And I don't think that the finish with the silliness of it was enough to make people go, wow, that was just spectacular. So if that is the case, if, if it was below, in fact, if it was anything between 54% and 18%, which we both think it will be, that would rank as the fourth worst race of the year. The only races worse, uh, would be the Martinsville race at 18.7% and the two Texas races. So, um, we're not, very optimistic that this is going to be a good one, but you know, at the same time, I think this is a, there's a pretty big gap there between, um, Daytona regular season finale, which was 54% and, uh, the, uh, Martinsville race there. I mean, road America was pretty dry race. It was won by Tyler Reddick and it only had, it had no natural cautions. It was only two stage cautions. That one got 55%. So you would think this would be lower than that. I mean, this was, I don't know. Like, no. I mean, the finish. The, the finish was crazy, though. I mean, and I think yeah, but it was crazy. But it wasn't. That doesn't mean good to me. To you, though. Well, there is a segment of fan who wants to see entertainment, and that's you know the same people. There, there, a lot of people get like different things, and whether just because you don't like it doesn't mean other people don't. Boy, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Let's talk about Formula One. Uh, I assume you. Did not stay up for this. I, I thought I had a great thing going, Jordan, because the race was going to start at 11 p.m. Mountain Time where I'm in Denver. It would mm -hmm. finish at 1 p.m. And, you know, I'd get out of there 
what, oh yeah, sorry, 1 a.m. Uh, I'd get out of there and, you know, it would be a late night, but I'd still be able to get plenty of sleep. Ended up staying up past 3 a.m. because uh, it was raining in Suzuka. Tell me about how, how much do you know about this? How much do I need to recap? Uh, all that? I, I am up to I am up to date on everything. Okay. I actually didn't. I mean, I, I, I watched the highlights. I've read a lot of bunch. I, that's, I just want to be full disclosure. I did not watch the race. Green flag, check flag. But I feel Well, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. You would have been pretty much junk today for the Roval race Eastern time. So, oh boy, uh, you know, I understand, um, you know, they, they, they wanted to get that race going. Now F1 has this policy where once they start the first lap, they have, have they have to finish it within a three hour window. Um, we saw what happened at spa last year to refresh your memory. They only got what, like a lap and a half of racing in and then yeah. declared a winner. Um, which was total BS. So since like then, they four changed laps it. total or something like that. If you count, yeah, if you caught caution, it was yeah behind the you know, safety yep. car. Um, so it was just a total farce of a race. So like now they've changed things to where, or they thought they did. Um, if you don't run the full distance of a race, you're not going to get full points. So they start the race. They read. Yeah, there was a, there's an immediate you know wreck of course on lap one, multiple wrecks. So they red flag it. Um, then they end up restarting it as the clock is winding down uh, deep into the into the night here in America. Um, they they say, okay, well we've got forty minutes left. So they essentially start it with like thirty nine minutes, thirty seconds left, and they're going to get out whatever racing they can get in, and then they'll sort of everybody just thought, okay, well they'll adjust the points based on. Um, based on what they have there. Like, so if they get to, um, there, there was one provision where if they get between two laps and 25% of the race, it's this many points awarded. If they get to 50%, it's this, if they get to 75%, it's this, whatever. Right. So the bottom line was as soon as they started it, you knew Max Verstappen essentially was as long as Charles Leclerc didn't like completely get a DNF, uh, Verstappen was not going to be able to win the race or win the championship because there was not going to be enough points available for him to do so. Um, again, unless Leclerc had a problem. So, you know, the race goes on. Verstappen wins, of course, as he does every week. Leclerc looks like he finished second. Um, Checo Perez third. Then immediately, pretty much after the race, they come out and say, well, uh, well, not immediately. A few minutes later, you know, because at the last corner of the last lap, um, Leclerc kind of goes off the track as he's battling Checo. And so they say, well, that's a five second penalty. So they drop, um, Leclerc to third place. Still no big deal because as the points were awarded, according to all the F1 writers, um, all these people that are experts on the sport, uh, Verstappen would need one more point to clinch, um, going to Coda. Well, they're interviewing, they, they already did the interview with him, um, in Park Ferme. And, you know, they're done with him. They start to interview and they say, oh, this penalty just came out. Johnny Herbert calls calls uh, Max back over and he goes, Max, guess what this means? Uh, I, you're, you're the champion, I think. The screen behind him say champion. But everybody like is going, wait a minute. No, that's not right. That's not what they said on TV. You know, um, David Croft, uh, all these analysts, the entire race, they keep, you know, Sky Sports showing the, the different graphics of what the points are going to be. All the F1 writers are going, uh, don't do it. What are, you, what are you talking about? No, that's not right. And then they're kind of laughing it off. But then like 
the screens and everybody keeps saying, no, no, he won. He's the champion. Like they're giving him like the, you know, they're shooting off the stuff and there's, you know, they're like, Oh, this is it. He max Verstappen, double world champion. And so max, you know, gets into the cool down room and, and he's confused. He's like, I, I didn't win it. Right. And they're like, no, he's like, well, some people are telling me I am. Did I, did I win it? No, no, you did. No, you didn't. He's very confused. Everybody's confused. Finally, it comes out that F1 or the FIA, whatever, whoever you want to call it, um, says, well, actually, according to the rule that we put in place, this policy um, after spa, well, if, if the race, yes, it, it is. So it is, you know, you get partial points if there's a red flag, but if there's a red flag and then the race sees a checkered flag, that is full points. Therefore, because Leclerc got penalized um, on the last lap of the last, the last turn of the last lap, and because the race saw a checkered flag, even though it was only, it was only half distance, it was only a 39-minute race, we are going to give full points to this race. Max Verstappen, congratulations. You are the two-time world champion. Very confusing, Jordan. Very confusing. Yeah, and this is, we give NASCAR a lot of grief. Fair to say, Jeff, about officiating. I would say everything. that is fair to say. <laughs> fair to say. Um, I mean, Formula One's ridiculous. This this is just, it drives me crazy. Like, they're, it, you're going to have a rule and your drivers don't know about it and you're going to pull out this thing and you change the rules. And how do you start a race and not, I hate that you can start races and not know what the points total is or, or how the points are distributed. And then you're sitting there and the race is over and, and you're the guy who is the defending world champion who, who probably going to be the next champion is sitting there going, oh, did I win? What? What's going on? Like, why? How does this serve anybody? Like, why having this confusion muddled policies that don't make any sense? I, I, they do themselves no favors. This is another adjusting, another example of, of how Formula One just, it's overly complicated sometimes, unnecessarily so. Well, I mean, what what's remarkable about it too is even Red Bull was like, "No, nah, I don't think they interpreted the rules correctly." Like exactly. Christian Horner afterwards is like, "No, nah, what was crazy about it was on the post-race show after they declared him champion, they went to recap like how this all unfolded and like they showed a camera shot of like the Red Bull pit wall. They're like going through the rules like a PDF and they're like, "Wait a minute. Wait, wait, does it say <laughs> this?" Like Red Bull, who just won the championship, they're yeah. not going. They're not. They're not raising the hand, going, "Hey, wait a minute, check this out. We won." They're like, "Um, we didn't win, did we? Oh, did we win? Really? Oh, they're going to give it to us? Oh, okay." Like, it was so strange, and and I actually feel pretty bad for Verstappen because it was such an awkward, clunky. Like there was no moment. Like you would think. He's going to win it on the track. And then Christian Horner is going to come over the radio and go, Max Verstappen, you are the two-time world champion. You know, whatever he says. And, you know, it was probably going to be at Coda, like as long as he finished 10th or better. And, um, you know, there'd be a big celebration and you'd kind of know it was coming, whatever. Or, or even if he had won it at Suzuka, at least you would know. But every this entire race went on under sort of like this um, one feeling from, again, not just the media, the drivers, the teams, everybody thought this. Nobody from the communication side of like the FIA or whatever said, hey, you know that thing you're saying on TV, like that's going out all across the world on Sky Sports, like to like <laughs> internationally and stuff. That's actually not right. Let, let us correct this here. Um, nobody, there was no hint of that. Only well after 10, 15 minutes later, do they go, 
oh yeah, yeah, I guess he's world champion. Now, this is not akin to last year's debacle like at Abu Dhabi because there's still, what, four races left. So it was inevitable. It didn't matter. Stop it. Yeah, it didn't it matter. Didn't it didn't was just the was timing of when he But won. it speaks right. to the bigger issue though. I mean, that, and that's the problem. It's like, it just speaks to this bigger issue where it seems like the the rules are, are it, rules are open for interpretation. They change on the fly. The competitors themselves don't know the rules when they're changed. Like, and you've got teams combing through PDFs, you know, trying to figure this out. Like, this is not how a world championship on the biggest stage should be decided. Well, and the fact that they all agreed, it seemed like the, the team principals I saw interviewed basically to a person were like, um, yeah, when we did this, this is not what we meant. Because think about this. If if the rule is as written, right, right now, oh, if there's a, a race that has a red flag and then resumes with a checkered flag, that's full points. So that means you could have had like a two lap race. Like you could have had, you could have started the race, had it rain the entire time, restart the race with like three minutes left in their three hour window that they have to go by. Um, and then said, okay, that's a full race. You get full points under what, like, why would you think that would be a full points race? That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. You should get, you know, the, the minimum points. And in fact, the new rule was you had to have at least two laps of green flag racing, or you get no points at all. And for a while there, as it kept raining, it was looking at maybe this race is going to have zero points. Nobody's going to get any points for this race, um, which would have been a total shame. I'm very glad for the Japanese fans who seem super hardcore that they at least saw a 40 minute race. That's better than nothing. But to say, well, that was as much of a race as any other race all year. And that gets full points. Again, that seems like not something that anybody intended. Um, and it would be one thing if just like the media thought this and the teams were like, no, 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 we knew about this. But the fact that like the team principals and all these people who study all these different things to get advantages. I mean, you had, um, you had Christian Horner saying, actually, boy, I'm glad this, it worked out this way. Cause we were actually thinking of pitting max to try to go for fastest lap at the end of the race, because he would need one more point to clinch all this stuff. And, and then we thought, well, let's just not do, let's not take the risk. Because what, you know, what if they had done that and there had been some sort of incident where he comes back on track and that, you know, ruined his race or whatever, because they thought the points were one way. Oh, anyway, um, what a great weekend for officiating just all the way around race control all across the world. Um, (laughs) there's been better weekends, I guess. We should have like an officiating summit. We just bring all of the big motorsport series officials together at the end of the year and just like, listen, guys. We 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 got to talk like this. We got to do some things different. Here here's here's our seven point plan to to improve officiating across the globe. I, I mean, no offense, Jordan. You say that, but you said that NASCAR made the right call earlier in this podcast. So I feel like I'm on an island here because I, I I'm okay with them throwing in a caution. I, I I've been very critical of of decisions they've made. I mean, th- this year when it comes to officiating. All right. Well, you were very unhappy with me earlier in the podcast. So well, you, you, you had a pissy mood. Like, you know, like a pissy mood. Yes. You were in a very pissy. You, this yes. is to quote my favorite movie of all time. This is business, Jeff, not personal. You're taking it very personal. I'll give you. I'll, okay. I'll tell you why not to go on a tangent here. God, please. Oh, yes. We're going to get Jeff Gluck rant. No, it's not a rant. It's not a rant. The reason. Okay. I, I get accused sometimes of being too uh emotional about my reactions to what's happening in nascar right i have made i am 42 years old i have invested 
my entire adult life in covering a sport. I want to get into sports. I, I, I was not a NASCAR fan growing up. I wanted to become a sports writer, right? So baseball, football, whatever. I ended up going down a path to NASCAR in 2004. I got like super, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Fastest growing sport. This is amazing sport. Really neat. Like tons of love about it. Like really just so many elements we talk about all the time. Um, whether it's the accessibility, uh, the tracks, the speed of the cars, you know, how cool everything was. Um, you know, so since then, okay, now it's 2022. My, again, my entire adult life has been spent on this. So when stuff happens in NASCAR that seems, I don't know, less than credible or clownery or whatever you want to call it, gimmicky, I, I don't know whatever words is the word of the day that people get upset about. It does put me in a bad mood. Cause I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here? This is a playoff of a professional sport. I'm okay with playoffs. Okay. I've, I've come to accept the playoffs. This is a professional sport, a major league sport, the top racing series in the United States of America with millions of people watching each week. And this is how you're determining the champion. This is how you're determining who moves on. Uh, I mean, it, yes. So yes, I was in a bad mood because it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't. I hope people enjoy it because then I'll still have a job. But do I enjoy some of this stuff? No, I don't. Because I want it to be settled on the track between whoever is racing the best, the best teams, the fastest cars, you know, to have a sign decide it essentially. I mean, it's just, no. Yeah. So that's why. Fair enough. You don't seem to buy that, but that's how I feel. I, I, I am, I have been accused of being very unemotional. So I, I try to separate emotion from anything I do. And that's just who I am. I am not somebody who I think when you bring emotion into things, you sometimes don't always make the best judgments. And I'm not saying your judgment's bad or anything. I personally, I just, I try to separate how I'm feeling and from what to, to make a, to my, to make leading my guiding principle is to take out my motion out of it. So that way I'm not influenced. My judgment is bad. I am overly emotional. And if we weren't, if we were doing this podcast, not after a race every week, it would be a completely different podcast because I get completely swept up in whatever just happened now, I don't have a chance you? to sleep on it. I don't have a chance to think logically about most of this stuff. It's off the cuff reactions. So, you know, maybe that's not very good for me, not a good look, but that's just how it is until we somehow move this to the middle of the week and then nobody. No, listens. no, 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 no. We, this is, this is my favorite two hours of the week. And it's because of everything you just said to sit here and to take this in it's, it often is pretty damn enjoyable. All right. Well, not for me. Anyway, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for listening. I will be back with you in Vegas next week. Then the plan is, um, we'll see if this works out. Uh, F1 credentialing is a little bit difficult at times and they may not want to have me come to their race after I just bash them. But, uh, planning to be at Circuit of the Americas in two weeks to see if Max Verstappen can tie the all-time single-season wins record, even though he's already clinched championship. Jordan, you'll be at Homestead. Then we'll be back together for Martinsville and Phoenix.
to close the season out. So hope you guys enjoy this as always. We enjoy seeing all the feedback and listening to you and getting tweets, DMs, whatever. So everybody, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time on The Teardown.